You're going to need them this morning. We're going to be teaching out of Colossians. It's our, our kind of new book or whatever series, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we tend to teach on books around here just to uh, bring everybody up to speed on what's going on. And uh, I think the more and more, especially if, if I hang out on any social media at all, it becomes evident that there's an entire generation out there that yet has discovered a Bible. Uh, or ones that have them that have never read them. Uh, I see a lot of uh, even kids who've grown up in church uh, their whole life, and they're having to combat a lot of ideology and a lot of cultural issues right now, and they're not equipped uh, in understanding their Bibles and understanding how, how that works or, or what God really does say, so they don't really have an answer for a lot of things. I, I know it's something that in my uh, 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 something I want to be bringing up in the, in the future meeting here with many of you uh, that uh, I want to open up uh, our facilities uh, and do something just for 20s, 20-year-olds and, uh, and have a night specifically dedicated to them, whether it's uh, through feeding. Uh, we'll feed them, provide child care, the whole thing. And then, like, uh, I want to bring in possibly uh, Jared Dodd, who is a great great small group teacher and uh, talk about raising families, talk about the cultural taboos that are out there and just spend some time maybe answering questions and really going, being able to have the time to go in in depth. And if we don't get it all in one night, it's okay. We'll just meet together the next week and have the same kind of chat where we can in in, in an informal uh, scenario where you can have questions asked and it's not a big deal and we can take the time uh, to go ahead and answer a few things. It's, it's a pretty desperate need out there. And the more time I think I see a lot of the kids that I used to have in youth group, and they're combating a lot of things that they just don't have an answer for. And, uh, and it's, it, it, you know, a lot of it's because they just need to read. Uh, but um, in, this, in this culture, uh, you know, we're getting to the place where even that becomes a, a, an issue with the generation. They don't read very much, you know. Um, Especially, you know, man, we put out audiobooks and videos. What else is there to really read, you know? But the unfortunate part for us, we can do that with the Bible, and you'll retain some of it. But a lot of it, retention of the Bible just comes from sheerly just reading it over and over and over and over. And the more you do that over a length of time, the more you get to where you do just know the Bible. And uh, uh, that's one of the reasons we stick to uh, books and not just going over a series. Although we, we have done series in here. We started out our year with a couple of them. Uh, but I like to get back into books. I like to nestle back into teaching just a strong word of God. It makes me preach on things that sometimes I'm uncomfortable with because I have to come across the subject. I, I'm forced into dealing with it. And so uh, uh, it's, good for me. It's, t- it's good for me as well. It'll make me say things I didn't plan on saying or, or maybe plan on talking about. Uh, this has been a good study. Uh, really, the study of Colossians is the study of spiritual maturity. And, and we're going to talk about some of that today, uh, but if you missed any of the previous stuff, it is on our, on our website. I uh, was listening to uh, another pastor this week uh, by the name of Matt Chandler in wanting to uh, kind of, uh, you know, we've, we've been here uh, pretty much next weekend, uh, or the 24th actually would be the date. Uh, on the 24th, we'll have been here a full four years and be starting our fifth year as a, as a church body. And we've gone through a lot of shifts. And we've seen a lot of people come and we've seen a lot of people go. And uh, we've seen where it's really crowded in here and pa- like every table's packed. And we've seen where it's just a few of us. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios. And, and, and listening, uh, I've been listening to a few different people. Uh, uh, pastors out there and uh, just listening to what other people are 
preaching just to hear for myself and be fed myself uh, in some ways. And I, I was listening to this uh, one pastor out of Dallas, Texas, uh, up there near Highland Village uh, by the name of Matt Chandler. He pastors a, a, a Southern Baptist uh, church called The Village. And it's a big church. Uh, it didn't start out that way when he got there. It was when he got there, it was 100. And the reason that was kind of a big deal, the, the message, uh, uh, interesting enough, was about how he wasn't or he doesn't desire to have the, he called it arena church, uh, uh, you know, scenario uh, at his church, even though he has a big church. Now, um, he was talking about the difference, and this is where I'm going to lead into Colossians, and I thought it was just really good because I think we see some similarities with what Paul was dealing with to the Colossians. So as he talks about where he came from, he came from being an evangelist. He was a young man who decides he's going to preach, he's going to be in the ministry, he's going to uh, teach people uh, about Jesus, and he's got a gift. God's given him a gift. God's given him a call, and through preaching at camps and a few other things, he eventually moves on to preaching conferences, and he talks about how that was. You walk in and there's you know hundreds of people, if not thousands of people at these conferences. They paid to be there. They paid to hear you. You're going to go up. You're going to preach for an hour and, and really dig in and, and get gritty with it because you're not necessarily at a conference. You're not necessarily preaching to the unsaved. You're preaching to the saved, right? So you can kind of wield Thor's hammer a little bit with the Bible and and really beat the drums of battle, and, and so he, he enjoyed that. He talks about how fun that was, but, but also he realized that at the end of the night, that hour's up, he gets a check, he gets to go home, and he doesn't care about anybody else at that conference because that's not his calling to care about anybody else at that conference, but then God began to do something to his heart. And, and uh, one of the things that he brings up, he says, God began to shift my heart. And here he was getting really, really good. If you don't know uh, these names, these are some of the names he was traveling with, which they already are very well known. Shane and Shane, if you hadn't heard of them, they're huge uh, worship leaders up in Dallas. They've kind of been at a lot of different churches. They've done a lot of different things. And he had gotten to the place where, you know, he, he's, a conference is going to be big wherever he's going. And these, they're flying him all over the world to hear him speak. But then all of a sudden God says, no, I want you to pastor. And then he sends him to this church of 100. And he says, this is where it's going to begin for you at the village. And you're going to pastor here. And, and, and all of a sudden now his responsibility went from, hey, I used to be able to just take a check and go home. And like, I didn't have to carry any of the ministry back home with me. Like my house was safe and nobody, you know, came into that thing that I had to worry about. I didn't have to carry anybody along. And now I have a hundred people here. And if they don't show up, uh, is it because of me? And if, and, and he began to say, listen, pastoring is all about how much pain you can take. And I was like, amen, brother. Amen. Amen. I mean, yeah, you might not realize that, but that's like, that's how pastors think. They think like, like. Like, all right, we're going to walk this place through it. Man, if you're parenting, you already know. How much pain can you take, right? When you see your kid break an arm or break something or fall down, you're like, I mean, come on. I, I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I was one who played with my kid. I can tell you, I've dropped a kid or two. Uh-huh. And you feel horrible. You know, it's not like they broke bones. Come on, no CPS stuff. I mean, but you're playing with a kid like, I didn't, you know, you know that it, stuff happens, right? I mean, like, and so, like, your, your heart jumps, right? You, you, when somebody bullies them, you are moved in anger to want to do something about that. When, when somebody's 
uh, uh, saying bad names to them or saying things in an ugly way. You, you want to rise up and you feel anger and you feel hurt. And it didn't even happen to you. It happened to your kid, right? But, but it might as well have, right? So pastoring is about, is about pain. You know, a lot, a lot of it's how much pain can you take? Because if you can't take a lot of pain, bro, you don't want to get in pastoring. Pastoring will kill you then. You'll die. It's that much pain, you know? And and, um, and so he's talking about this, and he's revealing this. And as we enter into Colossians, really, this is where Paul uh, uh, is with the Colossians. This is where his mentality, this is where his heart is, in the same place. He is hurting for them. And, and while, while he is writing to them, and, and, and just so you know, he, he, didn't plant, he didn't plant the Colossian church. Some, someone else did. Uh, but he is holding a pastor's heart for them. And that's why you see him writing this letter, right? Otherwise, why does Paul care? Oh, well, Paul's a missionary. Are you sure? Are you sure? Right? Are you sure he's just an evangelist? Because the evangelist gets to move on. You know, even as pastors, probably one of our great struggles is with evangelists. Like, yeah, you get to come in, be the hero, and then I get to do the cleanup. You know, and basically that's how that works. You get to come in and like, oh, look at my gift. It's awesome. Yeah, your gift is awesome. But when that was awesome for one night, and when the devil strikes tomorrow... Welcome to my job. Welcome to my job to go to battle. And, you know, yeah, you battled one night. Good job, bro. I want to just pat an evangelist on the back. Good job, bro. You know, because I got to be here for the next three years while they battle whatever they're going through. That's just how it is as a pastor, right? And this is Paul. Paul, he could move on. He could do these things, but that's not his heart. His heart is that of the pastor. He wants them uh, to go from being more than converted. He wants to see them grow. It's not about, well, I said yes to Jesus, my life's going to be good. Anybody that said yes to Jesus, you already know the devil met you the next day. You already know that. He met you the next day, right? The first time you tithe, what happened? Bills came due. Everybody came down on you that wanted money that you ever borrowed money from. Everybody called you under the sun to make sure you never tithe again. Well, pastor, I don't know how I'm going to tithe. As soon as I started tithing, everything went south on me. I know that's the way it happens. That is the way it happens. Paul wants them to go from more than just saying yes to Jesus, but saying I'll go for Jesus, right? I'll live for Jesus. I will do for Jesus, right? He wants them more than converted. Chapter 1 literally ends with Paul's proclamation that he has been commissioned by God to present the Word of God in its fullness to them in hope that the church will grow in spiritual maturity. He actually closes the chapter in chapter 1 with the words, and if you're reading the NIV, this is what it's going to say, strenuously contend to describe how serious he is about this mission. And then chapter 2, if you're there right now, you could start to see it. The, new, uh, uh, the same word shows up. It says, I am contending for you. Back to back, two sentences, he uses the same word. Now, the new living, which is what I read out of a lot, all right, they translate that word as this, agonizing. How much pain can you take? I am sitting here in pain, over your spiritual growth. I am in prayer with Timothy. Remember how he wrote it? He started out. Me and Timothy are both agonizing over your growth or lack thereof. It's hurting us. We are feeling the weight of it, right? How much pain can you take? Let's begin. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 5. Are we there? Say amen. All right, good one. Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have met, not met me personally. My goal 
is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. See how the devil works? You see that? Yeah. Paul was the master at suffering. Nobody suffers like Paul. Nobody's like, come on, man. I don't care. Like, we can pull out our scars, guys, but it's not going to equal the scars of Paul, all right? I mean, Paul just pulls off his back, like, look how many times uh, I've been whipped. Or, I mean, he probably just like, look at my face. Doesn't it look like it's been beat in with stones? I mean, I've been stoned a couple times in my life, you know? Shipwrecked, and you think that's bad. Uh, I got, I, we landed on an island. I thought my life was saved. Poison snake bites me. I mean, if you're Paul, you got to think, man, if anybody could have a depressed life, it's Paul. All right, everything bad is always happening to Paul. He knows how to suffer, right? Not only did he carry a heart for the Colossians and the Laodiceans, but also like tons of other churches, right? Because these are why the epistles are written. He's, he's concerned, right? He used a pen like a gun, combating the forces of darkness with the hope of encouraging them and the hope of uniting them all under the banner of Jesus, which wasn't easy because all the churches were struggling in their own way, right? I mean, we know this. We've studied some of this before. If you've looked at your Bible, you already know that the Corinthian church, they were struggling with all kinds of sexual lust issues, like weird stuff was happening in that church, right? And then the Ephesian church, right? They're struggling with spiritual issues. That's where we learn about the armor of God, right? And then the Colossian church here, they're struggling with spiritual maturity. They're struggling with spiritual growth. Oh, there's people there, but that doesn't mean that they're adults, you know? Now, they're physically adults. Yes, they're Old enough to be adults, yes, but they act like babies when it comes to Jesus, right? And the Laodicean church struggle, and to quote with the book of Revelation, it struggled with lukewarmness. And we'll get into some of that here. So with Paul aligning both the Colossians and with the Laodiceans, it appears they both struggled in basically the same thing, spiritual maturity. And what little we know of the Laodicean church we can find in the book of Revelations. There they receive like this stern warning uh, to spiritually grow up lest they find themselves shamefully naked is actually the word that Revelations use. Like the Colossians, they suffer from cultural issues and from a lack of insight to the greatness of their depravity. In other words, they don't fully understand the gospel. They don't see themselves as they truly are, and maybe this is where most people are, and it might be the hardest for them to see. Uh, I had read a historian who talked about the Laodicean church. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting is there were certain laws that required, because under the Roman emperor, once, especially down the road, once uh, these churches were established and were recognized churches, and Rome gets the gospel, there is a decree eventually where Christians are somewhat protected and have some religious exemptions. Now, at the time, the Christians did not, but the Jews did. The Jews did. And there became questions, you know, in how that they were going to proceed, even though there were laws that mandated they do some of these things. Now, the difference was some churches said, I don't care what the law said. We're going to follow the law of God. And they did it. Go read Revelations chapter 2. They're talking about Smyrna. Right? But when we get to the Laodiceans, the Colossian church, they were like, we're trying to have it both ways. We're trying to have it a little bit both ways. And so there was like, there was a lot of issues going on, a lot of spiritual maturity, a lot of weird stuff happening, right? Uh, the biggest thing here is the, is the fact that you see this thread of spiritual immaturity, spiritual immaturity. 
Uh, and, and it all came down to their lack of understanding of their own depravity. To be, to be as simple as direct, because I feel like I can with all of you, uh, it's simple. We're sinners. It's really simple. Uh, uh, I heard somebody, or I saw somebody the other day, we were talking about uh, uh, abortion and things like that, and they had brought up the fact of, well, God, you look at how many babies God killed uh, in the flood, and uh, look at all the times God allowed the firstborn to die there in Egypt, and also with, with uh, Christ, if God loves babies so much, why has he killed so many? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, uh, it's, not even, it's not even close to right, right? But the, again, this is why I want to do that 20s thing, right? This is what we're battling here, right? Because the, the, the real big understanding is this. You don't believe that you're bad, do you? You somewhere think that there's human beings that are actually good on this planet. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a good human being. Get that out of your... The Bible does not preach that a human being inherently is good. It preaches that, that a human being inherently, by its own nature, is evil and an enemy of God. It, that's, that's what it says. We're sinners. When we say we're sinners, we, that's the nice way of saying it, right? Hey, we're sinners, right? We're all bad. And that, and that sounds real nice, but I'm telling you, if I just put it as plainly as I can put it, you're evil, you're an enemy of God when you start out this life. And, the, and those people are in charge. Listen, it's all the same. It's all evil. It's, it's humanity is cursed on itself in sin. It's lost in it, right? And God will not and he cannot tolerate sin, period. And, when, and you know, one of the things I was reminding the person who was writing all this, when you see Jesus on the cross, you see how seriously God takes sin. That's what that's to show you. You need to see him on the passion. You need to see that, that physically with your eye, the cost of sin, right, that was placed upon Christ. Every time you make a bad decision, think about the whip hitting his back, right? Think about the nails piercing in his hand. Like You, you need to think about that because that is what it costs to purchase your forgiveness, Right? There's no, none of us are inherently good. This is the gospel. This is simple gospel 101, like simple stuff. To quote another preacher, he just, God can't just wink at it. He's not going to just forgive it. It must be punished. And Christ bears the punishment in our place. This is the fullness of what Jesus did for us. And we are blind to that until we come to the resolution that we must see ourselves as we truly are. We are ragged and naked, and we bring nothing to the table of salvation. Nothing. This is important for where we're going. You, you need to have this base knowledge. This is why you end up in the Pharisee rule, and we're going to talk about that. You end up like a Pharisee because you struggle in this. You still think there's some good in you. So you accept Jesus on the day that you feel bad, right? You feel the weight of your sin for a day. You accept Jesus Christ, and you think, okay, well, like, now I'm all inherently good. No, the battle begins for you, the battle to carry your cross. Some days you'll carry it and some days you won't. There's some days you don't think, well, I don't need it. I'm pretty good right now. What are you basing that off? Your works? Let's get into some of that. Let's get into some of that. It is Christ who has taken all and now freely gives all back to us, right? We're free because he's ransomed us with his own blood. That's why we're free. That's why we can do things. We are healed because he bore the stripes. Right? When we fail to accept this, we fail to fully repent, and therefore our theology is skewed. And this is where it begins, along with our lives, man. For the Laodicean church, their prosperity is what led them to pride. They believed it blessed them. Like, hey, man, this is a blessing on us, man. This is us. We're doing great. Because we're doing great, look how good we have it. 
They thought it ordained them like it's beautiful. Jesus ends up calling them, literally, they're wealthy beyond measure. They're a beautiful city. And Jesus calls them wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Those are his words. But he also declares to them, listen, in a pastor's voice, this is the difference. <laughs> you got to love Jesus. That, that God disciplines the, the ones he loves. So he's saying, repent and be forgiven and then grow wiser for having understood what you, you're doing. That's, that's the offer he leaves on the table. I don't know if many people know this. They don't really talk about it when you hear talks about the Laodicean church. But did you know that, that there's a lot of people that believe that the Laodicean church did turn around? Because archaeological evidence shows Christian churches there for a long time after this was written. Like six, seven, eight generations of Christians there for a long time after it's written. So there are some that believe that the Laodiceans got the message. Like they got it. You know, maybe it's when persecution hit. I don't know. But there's a lot of them that think that. Now in love, Paul appeals the same way to the Colossians, right? Look back at your Bibles with me at, at verse 6. He's, Paul says, so then just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So Paul is saying this, remember. Just I'm kind of you know, putting it all down. He's saying remember this to go back. Go back from time to time in your life. I mean, what do we talk about in here? We say it in one word. We say return, right? That's what we say. But he's saying go back. Go back to that point in your life where you first met Christ, where you first felt the weight of your own sin as well as the relief of that weight through the forgiveness of your sins through Christ on the cross. When that revelation first hit your brain, go back and think about that moment. He is saying don't just think about it. You need to live there. By the way, that's how you live in revival. You live in revival when you're able to figure out how to live right in that moment. That moment where you constantly understand the weight of your own depravity and yet feel the, the weightlessness of it pulled off you through the cross. Right? This is where it's safe. This is where the abundant life exists, firmly rooted in Christ. There is where you'll find your strength. There is where you'll find your hope. And there is where your life will begin to overflow in thankfulness and contentment. Oh my gosh, contentment is a word that the American public needs today. They need it. They need it bad. And by the way, the same idea that Paul's speaking about here, it's the same one that Jesus talked about. We're not preaching anything new, and I love how Paul's like, he ain't either. Paul ain't either. John 4, 4, 14, you don't have to turn there. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What it's describing there is say we turn the faucet on, we put the bucket underneath it, and it begins to overflow out of the bucket. That's what he's saying. It will begin to bubble over. Your life should be overflowing, bubbling over at the excitement of the base root knowledge that Christ has forgiven you, and through the cross you have now uh, 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 been transformed into a new creation. It's a celebratory thing. It should, it should consume you. This thankfulness should consume you, right? 
Paul later preached this to the Romans. In uh, Romans 15, 13, he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow. Go look up the word. It's like, it's like bubble. It's like bubbly. You may overflow or bubble over with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus preaches it once. Paul preaches it twice to two different groups. Live there. Live in the gospel. Live in Christ. That's the secret he's saying all the time, to be in Christ. We talked about that last time we spoke. He started right off talking about living in Christ, living in Christ, live in Christ. You need to live in Christ. Learn how that is when Christ is in you and you're living and walking and doing everything in Christ. This is the secret. This was the mystery that was held back from time. But now we get it now. Christ lives in us. This is how I can abstain from things. This is how I can live a life of holiness and pureness and freedom, right? Because I'm walking and living and moving in Christ. And Paul, you got to love this. I mean, he's trying to teach. He's not rebuking, right? This is how we know they're pastoring and they're teaching in love because they're reiterating the same attributes over and over. I love uh, uh, Gerald Brooks who likes to say, you may have come, like at a leadership conference that I've, I've gone to maybe 13 years, and one of the things he'll say, because he knows he's getting to that age where you do it 20-some-odd years of a conference, you're probably preaching some of the same stuff twice. You got a lot of people probably like, they're not there anymore. And he's like, listen, if I've said this before, I'm, I'm a firm believer that any, all truth is worth repeating. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, uh, Coach Michael, or Pastor Michael, is trying to teach his kids how to talk right now, his youngest, right? And guess what? He doesn't say the word once, right? It's not like a say, you know, uh, say bye. And it just, that's all they ever had. That's the only time you're going to hear it. No. What does he say? Say bye. Say bye. Say bye. Say bye. Why? Because repetition works. So from Jesus and Paul, and Paul's preaching it multiple places, multiple times. Why? Because repetition works. That's why you need to get up every morning and read your Bible, because repetition works. You get up every morning and pray. Why? Because repetition works fervency when they describe the fervent prayer of the righteous we always like to say about the fervent prayer of the righteous it's like a kid who keeps asking can i have that can i have that can i have that can i have that and parents you know as strong as you are you'd be like okay just go get it and don't ever talk to me again right i mean the fervent prayer of the righteous it avails buddy it avails it gets what it wants when it asks enough pastoring he's repeating himself man it's important it's important that you learn to live in plain view a sight of the cross right with a fresh mind on the gospel with your eyes firmly on jesus otherwise people come along and they begin to feed you all sorts of stuff like the colossians here you'll find yourselves captive to quote uh, paul here you'll find yourselves in hollow and deceptive philosophy which is what we have today Right? That's what I'm combating on Facebook and seeing a 20-year-old generation that is saying stuff about God that they have no clue what they're talking about. Right? No clue whatsoever. But then they take people who have been and who, who unfortunately have laid back and maybe they hadn't been the student they should have been in church, but they know just enough to kind of be dangerous, you know, know enough to believe in God, right? But not enough to really know God or what God has to say about these things, right? And so they're easily swayed by somebody with an opinion. Yeah, hollow and deceptive philosophy. So where did the Colossians go wrong? What were some of the things they were struggling with? And here we get to the meat. Here we get to the meat, all right? And this is something all churches struggle with, okay? So pay attention here. We're at verse 16, 
We're going to read through this, and then we gotta, we got to have to chew on this. This is some gristle. All right, 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen, and they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head for whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews. It grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I'll stop right there. Yeah, here's where the struggle gets real, right? Here's where they, we find that they're falling into this trap. This trap that we all, you know, they're basically into our own making. Christianity, they begin to make Christianity a religion. Oh, man, you think you were the first ones? Right? Rather than a relationship. Suddenly it went from forgiveness and freedom to rules and regulations. Come on. Man, when I first started in the church in the 90s, you know, they would talk about just even 10 or 15 years before that, like, man, if a preacher even wore white shoes in there, it must mean he's gay or something like that. I mean, people would say stuff like that. I'm not kidding. They, they would say weird stuff about the way you dressed or if your hair was a certain way or if you didn't wear. I mean, come on, we've come a long ways where you could dress like you're dressing right now. Paul says from judging people by what they eat or drink or how they worship or even when they worship, this isn't new. All right? It still exists today. Okay? It's a works-based religion that creates false humility is what Paul says. It's works-based. Right? It's backwards. It is through our relationship and faith in Christ that works are produced and from which we have eternal security. Not the other way. Right? We always say in here, you know, one of the reasons I don't have all these tables full is because I continue to preach that attendance doesn't make salvation. Right? I don't hear a lot of that preached. I've been in the church for almost 20 years. I've never heard, I heard a single pastor preach that. You know why? Because you can't pay for stuff with empty seats. And if you tell people they can leave and still be saved, man, that's like new religion to them. But it's the truth. It's the truth. What, how do I escape that? It's the truth. Attendance is, is a works-based thing. Now, is it good for you to come? Absolutely. Should you? Absolutely. Is it wise? Yes. You need the fellowship of other people to join alongside you and partner alongside you and move you forward. It helps. You need someone to lean on that believes like you do, that, that has hope like you do, that knows Jesus like you do. That's the church. That is the church, right? This building or this organization is just a place where like-minded people are coming together because we love Jesus, right? And because we love Jesus, Jesus has given us a love for each other, right? So I don't come because it's going to merit me something. If The more I come doesn't make me more of a saint. I was a saint as soon as I said yes to the Lord. I was saved. 
I don't need to come to church to be more saved. It makes me feel more saved sometimes. I remember a pastor once saying, I think some preachers, I think God gets some, uh, some people make some preachers just so they'll stay saved. <laughs> it's the truth, right? Our humility is found in our understanding of the gospel. That Jesus now lives in us, and because he lives in us, we are compelled by grace, love, and kindness to be Jesus to others. It's not about what we do. When Jesus lives in us, it won't be what we do. It will be what he does, right? In this, we receive absolutely zero, zero credit in the gospel. There's no good in us. Well, look at all the good you do in your life. No, 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 no. You are, if you think that's me, you are missing my message, right? The things that I do, like wanting to do this or wanting to do an outreach and loving on people and going to, to people's homes and seeing them while they're sick or, while, or going to the hospital and visiting. I, I, listen, if it were me, I'd be just like everybody else. I'd be selfish. I'd do what I want to do. You don't think I get tired? You don't think I'm, like I work, to, I have a job also. I work uh, more than 40 hours a week most of the time here these days, and there's a lot of other things I want to do. I am compelled to do it because Christ lives in me, and he wants to do it, right? I'm not strong enough. I'm tired. The Lord says, well, uh, good thing I'm your strength. Because in your weakness, I am made strong. Finally, you get out of the way. It's good for you to be tired. You get out of the way, and then I can take over, right? Right? And what do people end up looking at? They end up seeing your faith, and they go, man, look at that guy's faith. It's so great. And the whole time, I promise you, that person never really feels like their faith is great. Why? Because they understand the truth, that it's Jesus in them and not themselves. Right? Rules and our ability to keep rules will never merit salvation, our salvation. Only Jesus does that. Even when there are some rules that seem good, and they're wise, and really some are. Come on. Some are great and extremely wise. But keeping them will never be the cause of your salvation. Hear me out. Yes, there will be some that will cling to this no rules as an excuse to sin. They will. They will. That's why, you know, when we see something like that, when we hear like, oh man, Jesus freed you from everything. I can do whatever I want. But it's not wise to do whatever you want. And the Bible also says that, right? Know your limitations, right? I, I can you know, uh, technically, I can have a drink. The Bible doesn't say anything's wrong necessarily with alcohol, but I can't tell you how many scriptures talk about the drunkard. And dude, according to, uh, I mean, if you want to go according to the law, two beers is already too much to drive. So what you tell, it tells you what society even looks at as somebody who they consider drunk. All right? Now, if that's the case, and here's the thing. Here's what I already know about myself, and you know this about me. Most of you do. Uh, Jim the alcoholic doesn't go near a bar and doesn't go near alcohol. Nah, uh, because my whole life was tattered with it. I've already seen the fruit of what it led me to, and I don't have the restraint nor the control to be able to handle anything like that. Uh-uh. I, I need all of my brain for every bit of moment I have left in my life to enjoy all the things in my life, to make sure I am fully sober, to understand everything that's going on. I want to know my kids for, till the day it ends for me and be fully aware and fully astute of everything that's happening. But it's not sin. But it's wise. So there are some rules. There are some rules. I mean, like it or not, that are wise rules. But that doesn't mean it's sin necessarily either. And you are free from those things as well. It's a balancing act, right? It's only your heart can figure this, some, some of this stuff out, right? And, and there are people that are going to. 
well, man, I'm free. God's forgiven me. I'm going to do whatever. You know, I get that. But Paul addressed this to the Romans. Listen, you don't have to turn there. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Hey, because we're sin abounds. Grace abounds much more. All right. Surely in the bar, Jesus is everywhere then. Paul says, by no means. Where are those who have died of the sin? How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Many of you know this. You, you hear it preached when you hear the gospel preached, right? When you say yes to Jesus, you invite him in so that Christ can live within you, right? So that you can be transformed into a new creation in Christ. New creation in Christ. Christ, you're living and moving through him, right? So that your actions are not your own, but they are the action of him, right? Salvation and our understanding of it should produce a new life, a new person who desires to live in relationship with Jesus, who is transformed into a new creation of Christ, right? As Christ died on the cross, so did the old you. So did the old you. And as Christ was resurrected, so were you. A new person, desiring things that were pleasing to God. Now, some will argue that we keep some rules, uh, but we don't do it because our salvation depends on it. No, we do it because we desire what is wise, pure, pure, and holy. Not everybody can do that. And, and let me tell you, it, uh, I can't either. Christ in me does. Christ in me pushes me in that area, right? I call it holy guilt. That's what I call it. I, it's when I feel bad. I feel bad for things that I used to do freely. Why do I feel bad? Because I don't think they honor Jesus. They don't honor what he's done for me. And so I don't follow the rules because it's my salvation. I follow the rules to honor what he's done for me. And because it's good for me. It's wise. It's wisdom now. And the irony, the irony in it, when we talk so much about freedom, and yet Paul called himself the bondservant of Christ. He called himself the slave of Jesus, right? Jesus is funny like that. You know, here, I offer you freedom, but I want you to follow me. I want you to willingly enlist and follow me, right? Sin has captivated you, and it's captured you, and it forces you on its trail. You are lost in it. You don't even see it anymore. But I am offering you freedom from that so that you can make a choice now. You have the choice to do good, live in me and do good, or continue to do what you want to do and be yourself and be lost in sin, right? And, and it's interesting. It's interesting because he offers you freedom, but with that same offer, he says, but follow me. And following him comes with a change of life. And that change of life is not what makes you better. Following Jesus is what makes you better. It's interesting. The failure of understanding this leads to behaving like a Pharisee. And you haven't been saved long enough if you hadn't been a Pharisee. Period. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows that's true. Nobody argues with that. You haven't been saved very long if you haven't behaved like a Pharisee at some point. To whom Jesus basically spent a great bit of time saying, don't be like them. I mean, most of the time he preaches like, don't be like the Pharisees. That's like the first sentence. <clears throat> Matthew 8 where he says, you have people like this all the time. They, Matthew 8 says, they honor me with their lips, right? 
but their hearts are far from me. They're singing the words. They're singing the song. They're up here dancing. They got their hands up. They look like the best Christian in there, but everybody knows they're horrible. You know, I've been to a lot of Pentecostal churches. You know how many times, like, there's people who speak in tongues, like, every time, and everybody's like, I don't know why God used them to speak in tongues, man. He must not really know them. And I, and I always argue back, listen, God made a jackass talk. I mean, maybe that's the whole point. Oh, we don't like that word, I know, but it's a truth, a story, so. We know people like this, this is how it is. Isn't it ironic that Paul isn't fighting anything new to us? I mean, I didn't bring you anything like, man, this is the rain of day, you know, this is it, where you learn something you've never heard before. None of that. Paul's combating the same things we combat today. We still today struggle in the whole Pharisee thing, right? We, we begin to feel good about all the good that's happening in our life, and it's somehow like, look how good we are. No, 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 no. You have a false sense of who you are then. Like, come to humility. Humility, you haven't prayed enough. That's the difference in somebody who's living off works, man. They haven't prayed enough, because I promise you, you get on your knees enough, you will find humility. Getting on your knees will remind you who really is doing the work and who's not. We'll see, we, see, we will see this stuff uh, all over. You're going to see it all the time, right? I mean, this is a part of the church, right? I remember uh, Brennan Manning who once said this, and I thought it was one of the greatest things he says, and we can probably get ready to bring the worship team to go ahead and, and, and enter in a time of worship. But one of the things Brennan Manning said, the greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the, do- out the door, and then deny him by their lifestyle. He says this, this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Man, no kidding. No kidding, right? I mean, some of our best pastors, or maybe our most notable pastors, right? These rock star guys, you know, who, who you know, they're out there hanging out with celebrities and, and they're having drinks in the bar with celebrities. Don't help our cause. And then on the flip side, we turn around and the same pastor is trying to support the place down the road that's trying to deliver everybody from alcohol because alcohol has ruined their lives. John Piper is one of my favorites, uh, a Baptist, Southern Baptist guy that I just love. Uh, but one of the things he said that, that was so surreal to me because, you know, one of the things I probably get asked a lot is a lot about alcohol. I do get that, especially as an alcoholic. You know, obviously I have views about it, but I can't preach what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't call it necessarily sin. It calls being drunk sin. It calls the abuse of such things sins. It says you have the freedom for such things, right? But when it consumes you or takes control over you, it becomes sin in your life, right? I can't get away from what the Bible preaches on that. John Piper says the same thing. He says what happened for him, though, is when, is when a life challenge or teen life challenge moved in across the street, and they're having to work with God guys who have lost everything to alcohol, who've lost everything to drugs, who've lost everything to that life, and they watch kids come and, and, and uh, women come and men come and all these people come who have suffered the effects of such a thing. It shifted their whole church. It shifted their whole church. Everything's a good idea until you see, see where it goes bad. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in this church. Nothing has changed from back in that day. We're still combating the same stuff, right? And listen, at the end of the day, how you wrestle with that is all dependent on how well do you know Jesus. Is he alive in you? Is he walking in you? Is he, is he living in you? Right? Because if he is, come on. 
You know, one of the things I've come to know about Christ is, is uh, you know, especially if, if you're like me, there are some times where Christ talks and you know it, you know it's the will of God. You know, God is saying, you should do this. And, and yes, Lord, I'm going to do this. And I've had God like give me directions like a soldier, like I, I need you to do this, this and this, and this is what it's going to be. And this is what you're going to tell the people. And I'm like, yes, God, just keep filling that in, man. And, and then there came to a place where God just quit talking as much. And it seems like the older I get, the irony is God like quits talking as much. And I honestly feel like God's saying, bro, I showed you the way to go. Go live in it. Well, God, what if I go left and fail? Then you go left and fail. And it was my will. What if I go right and, and the right was success? Yeah, but you went left. And that's the way this goes. And that's the way it'll be. And it'll be okay because we're going to do it together. And from pain, you'll have character and character will produce hope. And if you succeed, then hopefully, right, you'll have the humility to give me the praise and the glory for opening that door and for walking with you that direction too. Honestly, I think, I think as we get older, we put, what we're scared of when we're asking more often, I wish I knew what God wanted, is what we're really saying is, I wish I could make a decision that didn't cost me pain. Because if we, if we already knew the decision, the, the least painful decision is the one we always make. That's why God shuts up. Because it's not what you're asking. You're not asking for the will of God. You're asking for which decision is the least painful. If you wanted the will of God, he said, dude, I need you to go left and endure. Like, you know, it's the same reason. Didn't you all pay attention that he didn't give Joseph the whole trip to how you become the prince of Egypt? Hey, Joseph, man, all these people are going to bow down to you. It's going to be awesome. I'm not about to tell you you're going to be accused of rape. Your brother's going to throw you away like trash, and uh, you're going to sit in a dungeon for three years. Uh, if I tell you that, you're never going to choose that route. <laughs> you're never going to go, and I need you to go, Joseph, because I need you to save your kin. <laughs> and we're complaining about, man, I ain't heard the voice of God. I don't know what the will of God is. Man, go. Just go. All right? I like, if you're like Paul, and you really get to that place where you're like Paul, Paul goes what? Well, to die is gain and to live is glory. What? That's got to be so frustrating when you're trying to kill a guy like that. Right? If you kill him, he's like, victory. And he's like, if you don't kill him, victory. Like, dude, which is it? I mean, this, this is walking in Christ and living in Christ. Paul was able to do some things. You know what, you know what the freedom gave him? Bacon. Oh, maybe you don't understand. He hung out with the Gentiles. Gentiles don't have a thing against bacon. When he was with the Gentiles, he did as the Gentiles did. And when he was with the Jews, he did as the Jews did, right? Remember, he hung out with Timothy. We just talked about him. He was half Gentile. You think Timothy was raised in a house where it was just all Jewish? Heck no. Timothy ate good. It was later on. Timothy volunteered to be circumcised just so he could go preach to the Jews. It showed them how much they wanted to walk the gospel through people. Timothy wanted to be taken serious by both Jew and Gentile, and he did what it took to be serious by both Jew and Gentile. Why? Because Christ lived him, not because Timothy was great. No, Christ in Timothy was great. Paul survived the suffering not because Paul is awesome. No, Christ in Paul is awesome. Paul would be, I mean, if you remember the story when he gets beaten Lystra, he gets beaten Lystra because they want to worship Paul. And he's like, no. And he rips his clothes off and he lays down on the ground. It's not me. It's not me that did the miracle. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Christ in me. And that's what he's trying to teach the Colossians. 
This is spiritual maturity. When you come to that, real, that, that realization in your life that the good things are not good because you're so wise and you're so great and you're so smart and you're so gifted. No, God gave you all those things. Your kids are God's gift to you. Your wife, your spouse is God's gift to you. That's how that is. God's given you gifts to steward too, to serve, not to be the master of, to serve. That's your first practice at being a Christian. Your first practice at loving someone next to you that is different from you, that requires you give up your will so that they may have theirs once in a while. Right? This is where God teaches us holiness and purity and living in Him, walking in Him. And this is what God was teaching that church. And listen, nothing's changed in this church either. Our mission is still the same. We're going to advance the gospel by returning to the Lord. Always about intimacy. It's always going to be about prayer. It's always going to be about being on our knees and being humble before the Lord. And the closer we draw to Christ, the more full of Christ we become so that God can use us. Right? To grow closer, we're going to have to confront the ideologies that our culture is facing. We're going to have to meet those things head on. It's going to require some changing even in here. I do believe that's got to happen this year. I've told you from the beginning of the year it was going to be a different year for us. I'm telling you, you better get ready. Once that building goes up, I've got some ideas, and we need to start moving there. We've got to address some things that the culture is facing, right? And it's going to take a like passion as that of Paul here, right? It's going to be painful because we're going to seek great things for those around us, right, for those around us. We want to see the freedom of the spiritually captive, right? We seek healing to the scared and to the hurting. We seek compassion uh, to those whose hearts have been made hard through religion and rules. And uh, we see wisdom for those who have yet to fully understand the abundant life and freedom that's found in Jesus. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. I want to see the revival that happens here. I don't care if... It'll, it'll happen here if it starts to happen here. And it has to begin in us, right? It has to begin in us. Paul says, go back. Live there when Christ first came in you. Use that. Use that spark that he lit first, right? It's still there. It's the fire that never goes out. It's the fire that never goes out. It's there still. Light that thing up, man. Blow on it a little bit, man. Read your Bible. Pray. That's how you, that's how you get the, the thing going, man. You want to get a roar going. That's what you do. You pray, you read, you get that thing stoked in there, and you get it moving in there, and it'll want to come out here. And when it does, God help us. Our city will change. Our church will change. Our, our houses will change. Our lives change. Amen? Let's worship, amen? It's good, it's good.
Sure.
bring you our burdens this morning, all the weights we carry, and we lay it at your feet because we know you can carry it. So Lord, strengthen us. Be our strength. Be our peace. Be our Abba. Placing my focus where it should be. I've been on the waves. On the waves, I place my focus.
being a staple, being someone that, Lord, people can run to because they see you in us. And Father, give us spiritual eyes to see what's going on, to love people beyond the physical. Focus us this morning. it grow, Lord, and every day we go out there and we see it, Lord, and there's leaves and there's stems, Lord, but we're waiting on fruit, God, and Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to show us fruit, Lord, that, that there come a time where we will go out and we will see the seed that was planted and the fruit of that seed, Lord. I pray that for every time we come in and we listen to your word and we study your word and we open up our Bibles and we begin to just discover your story, God, Lord, for that's what it is. It is your story. It's not about the Colossians. It's not about Paul. It's about you, Lord, and how you want to rescue and save and help your people, Lord. And every time we read it, Lord, we grow closer and we draw into you, God. And I would pray, Lord, that as that happens, as that return shifts from the heart coming out from the world and into your arms, God, that you would begin to just water it, Lord, and help the soil and place your hands around it and protect it, God, that it may do good works inside the heart of every believer. Father, help them in their faith. Grow them as you see fit, God. They are your people, your people. In Jesus' name, and the whole church says amen and amen, amen, amen. Man, what a wonderful uh, time this morning. I, I mean, I feel the Lord. I feel the Lord the whole morning. Maybe because there were all kinds of disruption this morning where the, that you're completely unaware of, right? Uh, but that's how the Lord works sometimes. Some of the moments I've had in church where I thought that was the worst service we've ever done is usually when the people would always come up to me afterwards like, that was the best service I've ever seen. Like, and we were horribly attitude the whole time. Like, amazing how God works in moments like that. And, and I want to tell you, God is moving here. And... and uh, uh, I want us to take the time before we tear down. I know uh, uh, I'd rather tear down this whole thing myself than us miss the opportunity of, of being able to hug each other and shake each other's hand and, and just meet and kind of greet with 
one another and, uh, and just love on each other. Amen. Amen. So take a few minutes. We, we, it's okay. It's okay. None of this is going anywhere. It's all going back to my house. It's all good. All right? I love you. You're dismissed this morning.